again just for a basis. Hebrews chapter 4. Bless the Lord. Verse 14. Saying then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was on all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Will you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, please? Hebrews chapter 2. Now there's a long series in this, but let's just look at verse 17. Wherefore, in all things, notice, wherefore, in all things, take a note, it behoved him, the Lord Jesus, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation, reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. The Lord Jesus, we have went through so much of it. He is God, very God of very God. And he is a man of very man. He is fully God and he is fully man. He has two natures. The nature which is God's nature and the human nature. Times in the scriptures, he speaks as a man, as it were, anointed by the Spirit and or a man full of the spirit and other times he's speaking as God himself and when you read that look into what Jesus is saying yet all the time when he's speaking he's always God okay so there's not a a weakness in any word here he's always always God he has died he's went to the tomb He's risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven, stands at the right hand of the majesty of the Father, and he presents himself before the Father, as it were, praying for you and I. So he's our great high priest. He is fulfilling a role that Israel's high priest did once a year, entering into the holy place, or the most holy, or the holiest of all, behind the curtain, burying the breastplate with 12 stones, with the 12 tribes of Israel written upon them, And really what it was, a judgment plate was the name of the plate that was on his breast. And so it's people in judgment coming before holy God, coming to the Ark of the Covenant, which had the lid on it with the angels upon it, with wings touching, and those cherubim at the top that were touching wing to wing were to shield or to mask the the presence or the glory that would come down upon the ark. The only thing that stopped the high priest dying was the blood that was sprinkled upon the lid of this ark of the covenant. And the lid is called the mercy seat. So that lid is known as the mercy seat. So the, uh, the man representing sinners who comes, he comes as a sinner with judgment of the people on him. He stands there at the Ark of the Covenant or in the lid or the mercy seat there with the cherubim angels ready to shield the presence of the Lord that would come down upon that mercy seat. That's why John says of the Lord Jesus, he is our 
propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is he is our mercy seat. So Jesus not only is typified in the high priest, yet Christ did no sin, knew no sin, was without sin. And he took our sin, bore it on him like the breastplate. He stands before the presence of the Father or the majesty on high. He stands, as it were, looking for you and I for mercy. Mercy. And it's the blood that was sprinkled was the only thing that the Lord would accept when he came down. And the blood that is upon you and I is the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. So when you and I have a a great high priest, um, the word great to my memory is the word magathos. And it's where we get the word maga, big, massive. Uh, It gives the idea of something humongous. In other words, he is a high priest above all other high priests. They now become defunct. They now have no standing. There is no more order of high priests. There is a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, which we are when we are in Christ. We are all made kings and priests unto our God. But he is a high priest. He is the great high priest, the Magathos. It's where you get the word Maga. That's who Christ is. So when you're thinking of your prayers and maybe you feel your prayers are hitting the ceiling or the heavens feel like brass, we can't go on our feelings. And there's times you'll probably find that your feelings will run you differently all day, every day. And if you're going on your feelings of where you are in Christ or where you are before God, if you're going on your feelings where you are in your salvation, if you're going on your feelings where you are uh, according to whether uh, your circumstances are going to change or not, and as we feel today they will and then tomorrow we feel they won't, then are they going to change or are they not going to change? There's an instability, there's an unstable mindset there. And so whenever you look at it like that, then we have to realize we need a foundation. We need a cornerstone. We need a rock. We need something, someone who is greater, bigger, stronger, and better than ourselves. And of course, that is Christ himself. And when you're praying, heavens feel like brass. Keep praying because he is praying for you. He is the man in the glory. He is interceding on your behalf. And you know, it's not who you are. You know, we always get to the point, it's who we are, who we are, who we are, what we can do, what we can do. Yes, live a holy life. Yes, live by the word of God. Yes, live a spirit-filled and a spirit-led life. Absolutely, without a doubt, that's what we should strive to do. But in all things, when we are going through things and when we're challenged and when we're tempted and when we're tried, we need to realize, you know, it's not in who we are. Even when we come to praise and to worship, Well, we enjoy the worship. I enjoy worship. I enjoy praising the Lord. But that's not what worship is. Worship isn't about you. Worship isn't about me. It's not about whether you enjoy it or I enjoy it. It's not about a feeling I get or a feeling you get. Worship is about what we give. That's what worship is. Worship is an offering a spiritual sacrifice, an offering that we're making on to him and sending, as it were, up to heaven. 
We're pouring out our hearts before him, so it's not about us. In fact, brother or sister, don't mean to offend any of you because I'm in the same place and position as yourself. When we come into Christ, we're meant to die. Really, I'm meant to be dead. When you come into Christ, really, you personally, your thoughts, your will, your desires are meant to die. Everything that you feel, everything that's off the flesh, everything that's off the human will, mind, understanding and intellect is to die. So you and I are meant to be, as it were, dead. But when we're in Christ, we're more alive than we could be if we were to live our own lives ourselves. So you're meant to be dead to yourself but alive to Christ. In other words, you're meant to be full of life, full of living for Jesus and Christ alone. And, 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 and at the end of the day, it's not about what we feel. You might sit here this morning so low and down and say, I feel that I'm even unsaved, but I don't know why. It's just how I feel. I feel God's forgotten me. I feel God has left me. When then you see, if you're going on your feelings, then you are demeaning and belittling the word of God. For God says that he has called you and loved you with an everlasting love. The Lord says that no man can pluck you out of his hand or the Father's hand. That's what his word tells me. So when I'm feeling like I'm dangling from a thread or I'm left in the the backside of the desert like Moses, God tells us, you can't be left. For I said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And if you say it back to front, it doesn't matter. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Thee forsake nor thee leave, never will I. So it doesn't matter what way we look at it. He is the same. And when we start making it about us, about how we are. What happens? We start going into fear. We start going into trembling. We start moving away from faith. And we need to say, Lord, I believe in you. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. Here is our Savior now. Therefore me the Savior stands, shows his wounds, spreads his hands. He's in the glory praying for you. Already God has had a plan worked out for you from before you were born. He said unto Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. That's not all, Jeremiah. But I had set you aside because you were going to be a prophet. I had ordained you a prophet. So you're not an accident in life. And your life is not an accident. God has a great plan for all who will walk in his ways. And even in that, his sovereignty can never be thwarted because he is sovereign. The first time someone says to you, God can't, then they're taking the sovereignty away from God. Sovereign means you're sovereign. And when you can't, means you're not sovereign. It's like there's only one God. If somebody says to you there's two gods, well, there can't be two almighties. There can only be one almighty God. Or else one of them has to be non-almighty, unalmighty, not almighty. And it's the same 
in the sovereignty of God. In Hebrews 2 and 17, wherefore in all things it behoved him. I looked at it before, it's the word ophilo. It means owing to the nature of something. Owing to the nature of who Ken Davidson was. Ken Davidson, like Wayne prayed this morning, was steeped in alcohol and drugs, just like yourself, Wayne. Owing to who I was, it took God to become flesh in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. According to who I was, it took God to come right down into my gutter. It took God to come right down into my pit. It took God to come right down into the merry clay that I was stuck fast in. It took him to come right in, to get right in where I was. I couldn't say, well, I'll work my way a bit and try and climb out stuck fast. And God looked, it behoved him. He knew me from before the foundation of the world. He gave me to his son. His son would come and die for me. It's the same for you, brother. You can place yourself there. And it behoved him. In other words, the word of Philo, I mean, it gives the idea of owing, the necessity owing to the nature of a thing. It was necessary that God would become flesh. So old covenant sympathy, and I told you it's not a great word, it's the best one I can think of, is that God is always with the Old Testament, always there, he's always blessing. But new covenant empathy is when God it behoved him to be made flesh. He knew what was necessary. It wasn't taken by surprise. It was in his plan and in his will. So it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be. Notice, why did it behove him? That he, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might be, notice, a merciful and a faithful high priest. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So it behoved him to become flesh. You know why? That he would become empathetic with us. In other words, he would enter into our suffering. He would know what flesh was like, what weakness of the flesh was like, what temptation of the flesh was like. Because listen, God cannot be tempted with evil. People say, oh, don't say Jesus was tempted, but Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. But he was. And every temptation you feel, brother, and every temptation you feel, sister, And every trial that you go through and every pain of the flesh and every hurt of the mind and every condemnation you come under and everything that you are going through, Christ walked in your shoes. And he's walked in mine. That's what it means. He's walked in my shoes and he understands me.
So many Christians, and again, let me say, you know me, I believe in living right, 100%. That goes without saying. There's so many Christians, and they go a little wayward. Or, let's face it, everybody sins. And we're no good anymore, and we're never going to make it, and I can't do this Christian thing. You're not doing the Christian thing. God does all the Christian thing. Did you hear that? You're not doing the Christian thing. You can't do it. God, the Holy Ghost, in you does it. And when you fall, you don't fall off the rock, you fall on the rock. The rock, Christ Jesus. And he lifts you up again. And he tells you, go on, that I love you. Go on, daughter, I'm holding you. Go on, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm here to bless you and to encourage you. I'm here to give you strength. And hold up your hands when you're weak. And I'll strengthen your knees when you cannot walk. Now, God's speaking this morning, and I know it. It's not about you. Brother, listen, sister, it's not about you. It's for you. It's for you. You know, I was going to bring this last week. Well, actually I wasn't. I was going to bring some of the scriptures last week. What I'm bringing you now is what I feel the Lord's given me for you. This isn't written down. We still haven't moved on to the next part. We might have to do another part and another part. It's not about you. See your dignity. What, what if I want to pray for someone who didn't get healed? What if you want to pray for someone and they did? But if they didn't, my dignity, I'd look stupid. Why? Are you the healer? Pray and leave it with God. He's the healer. What if I witnessed to someone that told me that they didn't want to know? I'd be embarrassed. Embarrassed for who? For the one who hung on the cross. It's not about us. It's not about you and me. It's all about him. Christ is the center. Is a glory. He is the Lord. It's all about him. It's what he has done. Whom he is. Where he's bringing us. And what he's bringing us into. It's all by him and for him. Even the scripture says the creation. It's not about the creation. It was made. All things were created for him. By him and for him. It's not about us. And when we make it about us. We feel we can't go on. And Christians start to wibble and wobble and fall and backslide. Oh God would never forgive me now. And I've just wandered too far away. No you haven't. No, you haven't, because he loves you with an everlasting love. And by the way, see when you were saying that in your heart, he knew it already. See when you wandered away, he was standing right beside you. In fact, believer, he was right within you. What do you think? Who do you think? Or why do you think you're here this morning? Because your body, your carnal humanistic mind has said I'm getting up this morning and I just bursting to get into church when I could lie in bed and sleep 
You must be joking. Really? You're here because the Holy Ghost is in you. A new nature forms in you. And he says, Wakey, wakey. Time to get ready. Get out and praise me. Worship really is said to come from two words, worth and ship. Ship gives the idea of to create or to make. And so the idea of worship is uh, uh, worth-ship. Create what is worth. Create the worth. So when you're coming to worship, what you're actually doing is you are creating as a human born-again spirit. You are creating in your heart something that Jesus, you can like and what Jesus is worth to you. So if Jesus is worth little to you, you will worship little. If Jesus is worth much to you, your heart will worship much. If Jesus is worth everything to you, everything will be given to him. It's the idea of it. So he becomes flesh that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Okay, let me just move on a little just to show you a few scriptures how close God is to you right now. How close God was to you yesterday and how close God will be to you tomorrow and forever. In Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read some verses out just just, uh, to throw them out there at you. You can mark them down and read them when you go home. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, listen to what the Lord Jesus says. For your father knoweth. See, as God, he knows me. For your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. Think about that. We're going to pray. Say, Lord, I need you to move. And he says, I know so. Lord, I need you to, to touch my loved ones. I know. I knew before you asked me. Well, what am I coming to pray for? I want you to come and talk to me. I want you to lift the burden off yourself and lay it at my feet. Because if we don't go to him, we will carry it. One man once says, when I, when I don't pray, he says, for a day, he says, well, I sort of know it. Don't pray for two days. I feel it. When I don't pray for three days, my wife feels it. I brought think about that. You think about that. See, if you're in prayer regularly with the Lord, your wife won't feel it. Because that's when the burden comes and the tongue comes. And sister, vice versa. A man and woman who are in the presence of the Lord in prayer, time in his word, they will find themselves so in love with Christ, they will love the other as themselves. Notice this. Luke 16 and verse 15. Listen to what the Lord said. The old bunch of Pharisees. He says, God knoweth your hearts. As God, he knows me. God knoweth your hearts. 
Listen to Psalm 94 and verse 11. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man. Ah, not even what you say, but the Lord knows what you're thinking. See what you're thinking right at this moment. Whether it's... Who's he think he is telling me about my wife? <laughs> or who's he think he is telling me about my husband? I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same place. Why should I hurry up? Because Commonwealth Games are on and I'm missing the boxing. I don't know where they are on or not. I'm just saying that. Like, yeah. God knows our heart. Maybe you're sitting here saying, Lord, I feel I can't do it. I just can't go on. He knows your thoughts. Second Timothy 2.19. Notice this. The Lord knoweth them that are his. The Lord knows you if you're his. And listen to Job 23 and verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He knows what way you're taking. And when he tries you, you're going to be purer at the other end. It gives the idea of a furnace. And the furnace is heated up. And the gold alloy passes through and the, the dross is burnt up and crusts along the top and the gold is the, the molten metal along the bottom. They scrape off the dross and there is a purer form of gold. But you know what they do? The more the gold is placed through the fire, they always find there's more dross. They put it through a second time and there's more dross. You'd have thought they had got it all the first time, but there's more dross. So the dross comes through again and they scrape it off the top. And sometimes you hear about him purified gold, gold which is purified seven times in the fire. That means seven is the number of perfection and completion. And the gold is completely pure by the time they put it through seven times. And not only is it pure, but it's more precious and costly. And Job says, I'm going through a big thing. I'm going through a hard time. I have a a mighty trial, a high mountain, a deep valley, a wide ravine, but I know there's a giant in front of me, but my God, he is fashioning me, he's forming me, he's making me, he's molding me, and he's bringing me through, I'm not staying in the valley, I'm going up the mountain, out the other side, and God is refining me, he is making me like pure and precious gold. That's what's happening to your brother. By the way, this is how I have to encourage myself. He's making you. I want to give you two more scriptures and it's time to wrap up. Job 14 and verse 16 for thou numberest my steps, dost thou not watch over my sin? Job says, Lord, you know every step I've taken. Now, we have wee babies here, unable to walk yet. And we have a couple that are starting to walk, and a couple who have just not long, year, two or three, started to walk. And boy, the first step of the parent, don't you always want to be there for the first step? Have the walk yet? Our alley was a chancer. We thought Ali couldn't walk and Alison got worried about her. How old was she, Alison? 18 months. We were getting worried about her. She's not walking. 
I was going to start laying hands on her and anointing her with oil if she didn't rise up and walk type of thing, you know. We're starting to get concerned about her. She hadn't walked. But she says, we chance her because we wanted to catch her first step as we would with Jody or whatever. And Alison, I might tell us wrong. But when there was no one in the room, what we found out was Granda. Granda caught her. She was sitting down. And when everybody was out of the room, the wee mate was getting up and going across the room and so I'm going sitting back down again. <laughs> missed her first step. And I maybe missed her first thousand steps. We don't know. We don't know. But Granda caught her on one time. And that's how she was caught on. So then she had to get up and walk. She just... But you know something? We missed all those steps. God didn't. The Lord didn't. See, from the very first time when we couldn't see it, she'd get up and the first one she went, mm, a bit shaky. The Lord said, one, keep walking. Two, have you fallen? Come on, get up. Keep going. Three, four, oh, you're down again. It's okay, come on, get up. Are you hearing it, sister? Are you hearing it, brother? Hearing it, young person? Five, six, six. Oh, you're walking better now. Oh, you fell again. Oh, I'll never walk. Get up. Come on. Get up. Keep going. Come on. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And now sure, well, at that age, they run everywhere. Here's your last one. You see, when God numbers our steps, every step you took in faith this morning to come to this place, there's a number on it. Every step you take in to your work, there's a number on it. Every step you walk around the park, there's a number on it. Every step you come to church, there's a number on it. Think about that. That's how much and how close he's beside you and with you and in you. If I asked you how many steps were from here to your house, could you tell me? How many steps you'd taken in the last day, this morning, could you tell me? Answer is no. He would tell you every single one. Every single one. Last verse, and we'll, we'll start next week. And it's in Psalm 58. Sorry, Psalm 56, verse 8. Psalm 58. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Thou tellest my wanderings. Do you see the word tellest there? It's a Hebrew word, safer. Uh, you know, when you're telling something, it means to speak, but it also means to tell can be to count. Making a tally of something. It's the same thing. It means, to, it means to count. It means to number. It means to rehearse. The psalmist actually here is saying, you can rehearse to me Everywhere my feet have taken me. You can rehearse to me everywhere my steps have been. You can rehearse to me when I walked behind my loved one as I led them to rest. You can rehearse to me the times I watched my children sick and nursed them. Lord, you can come and, and you can rehearse to me the times I wandered and went astray and into sin. 
But Lord, you can rehearse the time that you drew me back into the way again. You can, you count it, you number it, you rehearse it, you can tell it over. You were there every step of the way. That's what that means. And he says, you can rehearse it. Here's another word that it means. And you can. Now you notice, remember, old covenant sympathy to walk in someone's shoes. Like tell us my wonders means you can relate to me. God can relate to where you are. He's not away up in the heavens with a, a, a big stick ready to beat the life out of you. He's not there saying, oh, you're a bad child and I'm going to beat the life out of you and crush you. That's not who he is. He's saying, I can relate to you. But when you're in Jesus, he sees Jesus, not you. He doesn't see your failures. He wants you to bring them to him and say, Lord, I need you badly here. But he doesn't count them to you. Let me read this to you, and that's us. Psalm 45. Here's a picture of thy tellest my wanderings. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made, touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Do you see the idea here, my tongue is, as a, is indicting a good matter, or my heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things I have made touching the king. My tongue is as the pen of a ready writer. It gives the idea as I have been telling it up. I have been relating to what has happened and things that God has done. I have counted it up in his faithfulness. And my heart is full of him. So now my heart is indicting a good matter. Brother, sister, see if your heart is indicting bitterness. Or see if your heart is indicting unforgiveness. Or see if your heart is indicting hurt and you're holding on to it all the time. Or see if your heart is indicting that you've failed and you've sinned before God and you haven't come to him and he'll never accept you. And all these things, if your heart is indicting them, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak and you will condemn yourself. But here, the psalmist says, my heart is indicting a good matter. In other words, I'm thinking of who he is and I'm thinking of what he's done and I'm thinking of what he's making me and I'm thinking of what I'm going to become in him. My tongue is as the pen of a ready writer. In other words, somebody please get me a scroll. I want to write about the Lord. That's what he said. If your heart's full of Jesus, you can't help talk about Jesus, worship Jesus, love Jesus, praise Jesus. We are going to do another week. You see, when we come to him, remember, old covenant sympathy, new covenant empathy. As God, he understands. He knows me. As man, he understands me. May God bless his word to all our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless us. Who's warm?